0: Mayo, I don't know if I've ever gotten as much feedback about a story or podcast episode as I got about CarPlay. A lot of people drive. A lot of people drive, a lot of people have CarPlay, and apparently a lot of people have the GPS Apple Maps location problem that we talked about last week. Pretty much right after we published the episode, I started hearing from people who listened. So then on Monday, I wrote about it on the site, and oh my god, God, the post has 140 comments, most of which are from people saying they have the same problem. I've gotten like at least a dozen emails directly from readers and then a bunch of DMs on Twitter. So it seems clear that this is a problem that needs to be addressed. And it's definitely not just the mach definitely not just Ford, definitely not just EVs. But pretty much every car maker, in some form or fashion, people say they have this problem, including even like the aftermarket CarPlay head units, you know, that you install in older cars to give them CarPlay support, which tends
1: to lean more on it being like an Apple side bug if it affects like every manufacturer.
0: Of that's cars. that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, and it's funny too. The only car maker I couldn't really find like complaints from people about was GM. Oh, we love GM. GM's the and best. And we love GM. They're totally not dropping CarPlay next year. Well, you know why of... they're
1: dropping CarPlay? Because they're getting so many complaints from the customers that people can't navigate with it.
0: Yeah, exactly. No. It's... <laughs> uh, one thing we did get some feedback about, we talked about it a little bit last week, but we weren't quite sure. So when your phone is connected to your car via wireless CarPlay, the CarPlay or Apple Maps or whatever should use your car's GPS which isn't always the case if the car doesn't have a GPS module built in, but almost every car does, I think. Then, with wired CarPlay, it should use your phone's GPS, which is battery, I presume, battery management, right? Though, which is why yeah, it can do on wireless. yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. Probably yeah, battery. I,
1: I didn't know on, until we spoke about it last week. I literally had no. I thought the entire CarPlay experience was driven from the phone. Yeah, me too. I didn't realize the car had the um, the cross
0: communication there. I'm wondering if that could be some of the problem. My problems with CarPlay GPS happen wired and wireless both, but maybe like there's a handoff problem where the car and the phone are both trying to use their respective GPS signals and it's just getting all kinds of messed up. And there's some lack of communication happening there that's causing the GPS just to kind of freak out. Yeah, or
1: maybe it's in a condition where like the car's GPS thinks you're over here and the phone's GPS thinks you're over here. And so it just like yeah. averages between them. And so then you just go off into no man's land.
0: But yeah, it's definitely not good. I got a whole bunch of suggestions on things that could maybe fix this problem. Some people said just put your phone like higher on the dash to like get better GPS signal. But again, that shouldn't apply if you're connected wirelessly because the phone's GPS is not involved. Some people said to check location permissions and settings for Apple Maps. So making sure things like precise location or location access is always on. All of that was set as normal for me, so that didn't fix it. Some people said just use Apple Maps or Waze, but I guess I didn't make it clear that this problem also affects Google Maps or Waze or Apple Maps or any GPS app via CarPlay. Via CarPlay, okay. Some people were like, do you have GPS dead zones or like GPS blockers? I'm not entirely sure what GPS blockers really mean, but I guess it's like... I think they're common in like areas around like military bases and things like that, which I'm not near a military base. And then some people just said to buy a Tesla. <laughs> not very helpful feedback, but I get it. And I have a Tesla. My wife drives the Tesla. I drive the mach and I can confirm the GPS and the Tesla works. So maybe that is a valid solution. I don't know. And just to recap, right? You said if you use the
1: phone GPS, just not connected to CarPlay, it works fine correct yes so yeah like that's the whole thing with all these like gps dead zones or check permissions or anything else like at the end of the day let's say that there's a unfixable issue with the carplay connection right that yeah. for whatever reason it's con- continuously the manufacturer's gps is conflicting with the phone's gps and it can't resolve it in the carplay experience there should just be a setting on by default, off by default, 4 you want that says use phone gps always yeah and then people that were in this state if apple can't fix it they can just all you know take the battery life hit and just revert to the phone's gps in all cases because it's insane that if you're if you're connected to the car it's glitching out but if you literally have your passenger holding the phone in their hand it works flawlessly mm-hmm. like that's just not a situation that should occur like if it wasn't broken in both situations then uh then you've got a different kettle of fish right but as it stands Something is busted with the CarPlay experience somewhere in the stack. If it works when the person's holding the phone in their hand or just putting the phone in the glove box and just listening to the audio announcements, there's no reason why it shouldn't work on the screen too. So this is firmly an Apple issue that should be
0: addressed or mitigated promptly. So do you think... Some people got mad at my headline because I said it's a dangerous problem. They said, oh, it's not dangerous. People drove without GPS systems for years. Which like, yeah, but we were better prepared for those scenarios. And also, I don't know, like having Apple Maps be accurate in your car, it's still safer than fumbling around with like a paper map or something. Like it is a dangerous problem. One of the most dangerous aspects of it is, is you never know when it's going to happen. It can happen at the worst possible time driving in bumper to bumper traffic, not knowing when you have to change lanes, when you have to take an exit. And it's like, what are you supposed to do? You shouldn't look down and fumble with your phone. Right. Let's imagine you're using the car's GPS navigation system,
1: right? So Mm -hmm. you haven't got a phone or it's just in your pocket or whatever. You've got an Android device that doesn't support Android or whatever. You're just using the phone's GPS, right? Uh, Sorry, the car's GPS, the car's navigation. You're driving down the road. The car GPS glitches out, black screens, blah, 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 blah you're going to call that dangerous like it's yeah. not it's <laughs> it's a problem like i don't care what it is if it's a car related feature and it doesn't work reliably there is danger there and if it's if in and if you really want to battle over the danger argument then you can battle over like it being illegal because they're basically forcing you to use the phone in, a, in an unsafe way that's against the highway yeah. code right like so 100 percent. this is a high priority problem and i know for a while there were issues where like tesla's Navigation screens would blackout or whatever. You know they had bugs. That still happens. That was just as dangerous. Yeah, just as dangerous. Yeah, same. I don't care what it is. It's the
0: same problem, and it should be addressed. At this point, I'm wondering, since it's clearly or clearly seems to be an Apple problem, and it's been going on for over a year. Some people said it's been happening for multiple years. Surely they know about it. Like, surely they did not find out about it on on Monday when I wrote about it. Can they even fix it? Like there are so many variables involved with something like this. Employees at Apple must be experiencing it too, right? Yeah. They have to be. So I'm not feeling, I'm feeling more optimistic now that I wrote about it and talked about it and got so much feedback from people who are also having the problem, but at the same time, knowing that it's so widespread across different car makers and apparently been going on for years that I'm less optimistic that it's going to get fixed. So
1: I don't know. 100% it is bad. And it, just based on the response to your post alone, it is a significant problem in terms of you know distribution across the user base.
0: In happier news, I did some more iPhone 15 Pro Max camera testing at the Austin City Limits Music Festival over the weekend. We talked about how this would be different than the concert testing I did last week on last week's episode because festivals are outdoors. There's a lot of acts that are during daylight. So, better lighting than an indoor concert. And also, you're just further back from the stage. Concert crowds are, festival crowds are huge. So, to get relatively good spots at a stage, you have to like camp out for hours on end. So, my goal with testing the camera at Austin City Limits was to take into account some of the things I learned last week. So, one of the biggest aspects of that was the exposure adjustment like preserve settings toggle that i turned on which basically means you can set an exposure level and it persists from video to video or picture to picture without having to manually adjust the exposure level each time that was a really useful change because you don't have to start the video or start start the process then tap and pull down to lower the exposure every time it just remembers something else i got to try was action mode I attempted to use action mode at the concert I went to last week, but it didn't work because the lighting inside was just too low and it said it needed more light to use action mode. Outside, though, action mode worked really well. So I was able to zoom all the way in at 5x, enable action mode, and just kind of like pan around the stage a little bit. And it was super smooth. The stabilization was great. Um, What else did I do? do? Do you know why action mode needs light, by the way? I do
1: not, know. Right, so basically... You've got the sensor shift module, right, that's that's reacting to your physical movement of the accelerometer of the the gyroscope, right? And then it counteracts it internal to the little module inside. So if you move the phone down, the little sensor goes up and that offsets the difference, right? But that can only go to so much of a degree because you could keep moving the phone and then that's how you get shake or whatever else. So if you turn action mode on, it then also does a digital crop. So it crops into the sensor, Oh. Okay. so you get like a twenty percent buffer around the outside, and then it's analyzing the video frames and it's looking. Oh, so here the person moved upwards in the video. In the actual end video, will offset that in software by basically moving the crop around as you go. So if it's too dark, it can't tell whether where the objects are moving. So if you use action mode, and this is why action mode is on by default. You are losing some image quality. Yes, Um, Mm -hmm. but I mean, you know, if you want to get a stable video, it's probably worth the trade off in every case. But that is just what's happening there. So you're taking the optical image stabilization, you know, hardware module, and then combining it with a software algorithm. Because back in the day, you wouldn't have iOS at all. You'd just have the software side, right? And obviously, back Mm -hmm. in the day as well, software wasn't the software. You know, the the computation wasn't as powerful, so the the software um, adjustment was worse. But these days you get the hardware, the hardware does the bulk of the work and then action mode does the extra 10, 15% on top, which results in the super smooth video. But yeah, it is slightly cropped in and that's why it doesn't work in the dark.
0: But yeah, overall, I just, I think I continue to be impressed with the 5X camera and too, you can't overlook the 1X and the new Heath Max setting for that, just getting big pictures of the stage. I got some really cool pictures of the sunset during shows that were good and then the resolution also just lets you get you have more freedom to like crop in after the fact try to co- crop in a little bit to like remove the heads of people in front of you just improve the overall landscape of the picture so yeah I think it's just there's just so much more freedom with the pro max camera this year the the thing we talked about last week too that I think reigns more true after ACL is just that the 3x camera wasn't enough didn't get you close enough to really make the the reduction in picture video quality worth it and 5x fixes that it gets you close it is better quality than the 3x i think and it's really i think it's probably the biggest year-over-year iphone camera upgrade in a long time i don't even know since when
1: yeah the combination of extra zoom and the algorithms where they're doing the 24 megapixel default mm-hmm. shots which combine yeah. the detail and the light capture you know the best of both worlds i do think make a big difference it's kind of like you would have got that bump last year if they'd have done the software side last year but last year they yeah. just kind of shoved you a 40 megapixel sensor and didn't really do anything smart with it whereas this year they're actually taking advantage of it and i think the results uh, speak for
0: themselves the, f- the pictures do look good i was telling you privately that just big picture at a music festival like this it's exhausting it's so tiring. <laughs> it was three days, like noon to 10 p.m. every day. Outside, it was hot. I'm still recovering. I'm still recovering. I just, my body hurts from all that standing, walking around. Well, look,
1: next year, you don't need to go anywhere. You can enjoy the concert from within your Vision Pro headset, right? Yeah, that is true. That is you, true. It, it will perfect replace the real thing. In fact, we didn't actually write this on the site, but there's some like camera like report on twitter that was going around that the um katie perry concert that's on at the moment uh there was apparently apple cameras there filming for vision pro and one, and apparently one of the random fans asked them who they're filming for and they said it was for like the vision pro concert experience
0: so where oh she's doing a reg a residency in vegas i think yeah maybe so it was that might be it. at the residency yeah well cuz you know Las Vegas just opened the Sphere thing, the mm-hmm. 360 degree venue place where U2 is playing right now. And some of the things I've heard from a friend who works in like film production is Apple's been messing around with some stuff with U2 for Vision Pro 2. Yeah, I think
1: they've been playing with a lot of artists. Yeah. I don't know if, if it's just like um testing or exploratory if they actually plan to like release the stuff, but They've, they've been collecting content maybe it's just the demo reels i don't know but we'll see i guess soon enough
0: if you've seen the pictures and videos from the sphere it's like the perfect place to film something in in virtual reality it's incredible yeah, for sure.
1: all encompassing 360 degree something to look out in every direction and you can imagine that the video they're projecting onto the walls of the yeah. sphere mm-hmm. could they don't necessarily have to just like refilm it they could just you know, superimpose the video directly on the thing you see inside the headset. So, like, if they're projecting a 3D rendering in the Sphere, they could just put the 3D objects in the stream that you watch with the headset, right? Like, they can cut out the middle step. So,
0: and so there's opportunity there. We'll see what, what falls out of it all in the end. And it's u right now at the Sphere. Apple loves U2. They do. I don't think anybody else is on the schedule yet, and I think u actually just said they're going to extend their residency. So, U2 on Vision Pro, look out for it. Confirmed. You heard it (laughs) here first. Confirmed, yeah.
1: (laughs) Happy Hour This Week is sponsored by ZocDoc. Download the app for free at zocdoc.com slash hour. You know that feeling you get when you finally find the thing that you've been searching for on the internet? After spending hours researching and reading thousands of reviews, you find that perfect tool for the job. I did this actually to find a new lawnmower, and it's amazing. Five-star reviews, can get it shipped in 48 hours. Glorious. But how come you can get the most random, wonderfully reviewed thing from around the world online in two days, but if you want to see a good doctor, it can take forever to get an appointment? And how do you know if the doctor is even good in the first place? Thankfully there is an answer. It's called ZocDoc. Find and book great doctors who have actually have amazing reviews, many with appointments available within 24 hours. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for the ones that take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition that you're searching for. And just like my new lawnmower, the average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 to 48 hours. That's it. Once you find the doctor that you want, you can book them immediately with just a few app taps. Simple, fast, and no more awkwardly waiting on the phone to a receptionist. What a great idea. If I'd have needed this, it's what I'd use. So go to ZocDoc.com slash happy hour and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash happy hour. ZocDoc slash happy hour. Thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring the show.
0: So Bloomberg had a report this week kind of touching on the early success or maybe failure of the, not fail, failure, but slow, lower than expected sales of the iPhone 15 in China. So according to Bloomberg and the analyst research that they kind of collated all together, in its first seventeen days of availability, the iPhone 15 is selling around four and a half five percent worse than the iPhone 14 last year, which may not seem like a lot, but as you pointed out in your story Mayo, like given how many iPhones Apple sells, four and a half five percent, that's a pretty big drop, especially for an a market as important as China. Yeah, I mean that's millions of phones less,
1: right like yeah right. it's just a it's just the the scale of the business is, is is what that makes so and so if you're five percent lower that's a few billion off the end line revenue number that apple reported in november um for the last quarter so it you know it has financial implications uh when i'm you know doing anything in general with like you know reporting on technology stuff like my number one concern is are the products good right like that's the, that's what the ultimate mm-hmm. in, um Objective is review the products themselves. How is the company doing? What are the products the company producing? The financial and the business machinations are interesting, but they're like secondary, right? And I think we would both agree the iPhone 15 lineup is very good, right? Like, I think it's a good lineup. Yeah. But it, this just shows that, you know, you can have the best products in the world and it doesn't necessarily translate to you know swelling sales right like the the phone market is so mature that it almost doesn't matter year to year what what the phone is like the sales of the device are, are way more predicated on like external factors than just the feature set of the phone so in this case you know like when do carrier deals expire and how much are carriers promoting the, the models in any particular year what's the other competition what's the local culture about in this china example um, there's a lot of anti-apple sentiment in the in in their culture at the moment you know the government's banning phones in government officials saying that they're unsafe or in their the security risk uh, they are promoting and boosting the relevance of local domestic manufacturers like huawei who have been You know, shunted and depressed in the last few years because of US sanctions. And so, as a kind of, you know, rebuttal pushing against that, they're now, you know, encouraging basically the Chinese public to adopt Huawei phones. They've got a Mate 60 phone that's using all made in China components despite the US sanctions. So, like, you can see the propaganda there and how that boosts it up. Um, And, you know, those factors combined with maybe people who just bought a load of iPhones already and they don't need one this year. Like, so many factors affect the sales of the device that end up having more of an impact than like is the phone good or not which is you know in some ways up, up, uh, uh, an unfortunate state of affairs but that's just the reality of mature markets and a five percent drop which you know probably equate to like three percent less revenue that's a overall for the entire company right for apple's entire bottom line three percent is a mm-hmm. pretty big jump um and maybe we partially offset because supposedly the iphone 15 is having stronger sales in the us than 14 did last year so you know there's there's a two in and froing, but at the end of the day Financially, Apple's had three straight quarters now of negative revenue growth year over year. And so what investors don't want to see is 5% uh, reduced sales in China because that just makes it even more likely that, they were, that we were now into a fourth quarter of neg- negative revenue compared to the previous year-, year cycle. So it's not great news financially when this report came out. Uh, stock was down like 1% or whatever. Um, obviously, in, you know, Apple's got... On, on the one hand, you can be like, well, you know, Four, four and a half percent drop means they're going to lose five billion but they're still apple right like they're, they're still making yeah. 80 billion right so like you i mean you could look at it as glass half full glass half, glass half empty the company's not going anywhere maybe uh investor sentiment might be a bit weaker for this cycle or not well we won't know for sure of course until they they report their earnings but at least right now the the analyst sentiment is on the weak side i would say in terms of overall for iphone sales not being particularly strong i think last year they, they sold about 80 million for the, the rest. So the iPhone 14 in 2022 sold about 80 million total units. This year, there's been various supply chain reports that indicate Apple's only told its supplies to build up about 70 to 75 million iPhone 15 units for the remainder of 2023. So you can see a 5 million unit difference there in terms of decline. Uh, but we'll see how it plays out over the whole period. If it is bad, it's only bad in terms of like, you know, financial projections the company will be absolutely fine of course the apple is doomed mantra is completely irrelevant these days these companies are so big it's you know immaterial uh, but maybe the stock won't be doing too hot for a while
0: and apple earnings are november 2nd so two weeks from this thursday as we're recording and that'll cover and and those earnings will july, be july july to september yes.
1: so that's only like a fortnight of iphone sales Um, yeah the big you know impact of how well the iphone 15 does is the holiday quarter which is the quarter we're currently in which is october october november december um because obviously a lot of people buy phones for christmas and holidays and it's most of it's the bulk of the iphone 15 release period so we'll see how it plays out but yeah at least right now it doesn't seem like the iphone 15 is going to set sales records
0: and where it gets i guess a little bit concerning too is if iphone sales are not as high this year as they were last year iPad sales are down quite a bit. Mac sales are down quite a bit. Presumably, Apple Watch and wearables are flat, probably down. When you look at the big picture like that, then it's combining all those factors together is probably one of the reasons investors are more worried than they would be otherwise.
1: Yeah, now they've you know they had Apple had really good results a year ago, you know, and that's part of the reason why the current year's ones have all been negative because like the compare is difficult. Yeah. Um, but, you know, companies, are, public companies are built to offer show growth in some way or the other. And you go back 10 years and Apple was doing 20% revenue every quarter. But, you know, up and up and up because they were on a huge ascendancy. More recently, it's been more like 10% a year kind of situation. But this year, it's like minus two. So, like, you know, it's not great. Uh, but, well, you know, then the stock's down from all-time highs, which reflects that. Uh, and, but I think most of them expect that there will be a resurgency Um, And services business continues to plod on with pretty good stability. But as you just said, like every hardware division doesn't seem to be doing too great at the moment. Uh, So we'll probably have another quarter of of negativity.
0: Well, you know what's going to counteract the negativity (laughs) is Apple's (laughs) new middle-of-the-road, mid-range Apple Pencil. This was a random product release on Tuesday via a press release
1: well, we thought there was going to be something a bit more exciting because yeah, there was some we scuttle over
0: the weekend that we reported
1: as well. That there was going to be an iPad announcement uh, on the Tuesday didn't quite pan out that way. There was an iPad accessory announcement,
0: Apple Pencil with USB-C, which Apple is branding as Apple Pencil (parenthesis) USB-C. <laughs> quite the name because it's
1: not a replacement,
0: right? So the new Apple Pencil is seventy-nine dollars. It looks basically the same as the second generation Apple Pencil, but the, one of the big differences is that it has a USB-C port like, hidden in the cap, so it can still magnetically connect to a flat-sided iPad, but when you do that, it won't charge or pair, so you have to use the USB-C port on the Apple Pencil to charge it and pair it with a new iPad. Right, so just hold on a second. Yes, okay. Isn't
1: that insane? That like yeah, you pretty can, much. Cl- you can magnetically snap it on the side of the iPad Pro, but it doesn't do anything. <laughs> it doesn't <Yeah>. know it <laughs> exists. Like, and and what's hilarious is the iPad 10, i.e. the iPad released this time last year, a year ago. Yeah. At the time, the solution was for oh, you buy the first gen Apple Pencil with right. the one with the Lightning port on it, and then you come and then that comes in the box with an adapter for USB C, so you can plug it into the iPad that only has USB C port to pair it. This year, you can buy this Ugh, one instead, yeah. which has a USB-C port on it. So I guess it's good that, oh, well, you can use the same cable that you charge it with to you know charge the pencil and you have to connect it the first time by plugging it in because it doesn't pair wirelessly. Uh, but it doesn't actually charge if you connect it to the iPad. Yeah. It will snap <laughs> and magnetically stick to the side of it so you can, in Apple's words, store it there. But if you actually want to do anything with it, you still need a cable. It's a very bizarre situation.
0: Have you found an answer on if the cap comes all the way off or does it just, is it just like spring loaded?
1: i don't know the way it looks in the photo they're trying to imply it's spring loaded right
0: and that worries me because it looks like the usbc port cutout is like so small you're not just going to be able to use any usbc cable to fit into that hole with the maybe. apple pencil borders maybe it's kind of like the same problem we just saw on the iphone 15 with various cases or whatever but
1: yeah, it's hard to tell from Apple's video, yeah. from Apple's photo. um, But they certainly don't mention, like, it doesn't say detachable cap, right? Or it, or it just says, like, right. sliding yeah. cap. um, So it implies that it does just slide up and then you stick it in. And then and in some ways, I can see why they were designing it like that because that yeah. means you can't mm-hmm. lose the cap, right? And I think a big focus for this $79 Apple Pencil is going to be the education market. And yes. in education, they don't want the caps that fly away and get lost. So if you look at a very colliery product which is the logitech crayon right which is Mm -hmm. logitech's uh ipad officially endorsed compatible stylus its cap is it it comes off but it's like attached by a bit of plastic like a bit of rubber so like it has Mm -hmm. like a rubber tip right so like you can like disc like reveal the charging port and then but the cap can't fly away it's stuck to the rest of the pencil and then when you're done with it you know you clip it back on and that is like beelined education and one of the reasons behind education is it's cheaper and the cap doesn't fly away and can't get lost. And so then I look at this pencil. I'm like, if, it, if indeed the cap is sliding and doesn't disconnect, it's another reason why they're pushing it for the education market. Because this pencil costs $79 for customers. If you buy it on the education store, it's only
0: $69. And the Logitech crown is... Crown. Light <laughs> crayon. <laughs> C- crown, crayon. You have a bad accent. Um It's they have USB C and Lightning versions, right? So
1: yes, because it originally they originally did it for the like the crayon existed in 2015 when they did the first generation Apple Pencil, right? Like that was the alternative option, and so back then it was Lightning, but then they've also done a revised version with USB C. Yeah.
0: So in terms of features of the overall Apple Pencil lineup, so you have what Apple says is low latency, tilt sensitivity, and precise writing and drawing. On Apple Pencil USB, sorry, Apple Pencil USB C, Apple Pencil first generation, and Apple Pencil second generation. But the Apple Pencil with USB C does not support pressure sensitivity, unlike the Apple Pencil 1 and the Apple Pencil 2. But it's the same as the crayon, because the crayon doesn't support pressure either. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then it has the magnetic attachment, but not wirelessly pairing and charging. The Apple Pencil One doesn't have man- magnetic attachment or wireless pairing or charging. The Apple Pencil with USB-C does have Apple Pencil hover support on. I think it's just M2 iPad Pros. Is that?
1: Yep, that's correct. Yeah,
0: and Apple Pencil Two also has hover support, but not Apple Pencil One.
1: The reason then for that I- is the Apple Pencil One doesn't pair with the iPad Pro at all.
0: Oh, it does. It doesn't. Okay, I thought no because prepare- the Apple Pencil
1: One requires Lightning, right? yeah and you can't dongle that you can't dongle it no it doesn't work so basically the reason it doesn't hover is because the the hover feature is enabled by the display not the pencil Mm -hmm. which is why it works on the usb-c pencil um and i presume it works on the crown as well i haven't actually tested that but the um apple pencil one would probably support hover if the pencil worked at all with the ipad pro and yeah okay the, i mean at this point the apple pencil one basically exists just for people just basically for the education market that's still buying the ninth generation ipad which is lightning or you happen to have an older lightning ipad still and you want to use it you want to buy a pencil
0: for it so presumably when that entry-level ipad ipad 9 goes away so will the apple pencil one you'd have to think so right because that's what really muddies up this lineup right now yeah is the USB-C Apple Pencil at $99. Wait, see, this is... Con- the Apple Pencil with USB-C at $79, the Apple Pencil 1 at $99, and the Apple Pencil 2 at 129 The mixed up of features and pricing there, that's where it gets super confusing.
1: I mean, I think it's kind of ridiculous that we're in a state of affairs where the Apple Pencil has a lineup. Yeah, that's that, that is true. Like, I mean... Yeah, going from three to two is like better, but I feel like it's not really a product that shouldn't have more than one, and it's kind of a um a miss on the whole you know product market fit situation. And it's all predicated on the fact that the Apple Pencil second generation is so expensive, like yeah, one hundred twenty nine dollars, and the price the Apple Pencil first generation ninety nine dollars, the same price that they sold it for in twenty fifteen. <laughs> like it's just it's just insane. Like I thought at the very least, um that by now we could have got the Apple Pencil second generation back down to $99, you know? But nope. Instead, we've got this middle-tier $79 Apple Pencil as the stopgap solution for the education yeah. market and all the people that don't want to spend twenty nine dollars but they just want to write some notes and they don't care about pressures and sensitivity. So now the Apple solution is this one. Um, but it's like, come on, guys. like, <laughs> you know... You can, you've got magnets in it, but you can't charge through it. Like Yeah. Like what would have been kind of cool is if it were if you could wirelessly charge or use the USB C port inside it. Yeah. That would that be. have been slick, but like, no. So so you got $79, dollars you got to pay an extra $50 for wireless pairing and charging and pressure sensitivity. Do, do, does the pressure sensitivity components and the wireless charging components really cost Apple, like $50 more. That's almost the whole cost of the no, pencil. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's like, it feels pretty ridiculous. Like, I don't love it.
0: When you're looking at iPad styluses, styli, whatever, the lack of pressure sensitivity means like there are like $15 alternatives. Mm-hmm. Yep. That you can 100%. do the same exact thing, except you miss out on hover, which is whatever, because iPad Pro, M2, whatever. You can buy a stylus on for $15 on Amazon. With designs that are very similar to the Apple Pencil, yeah,
1: they're knockoffs. That gives right? you the yeah.
0: same thing, like
1: yeah, yeah. Whether you have like the unofficial, like fake Apple pencils that are white and look like Apple pencils but don't use Apple branding, or you have like legitimate pencils styluses that basically take the Logitech Crown design and just do it for a bit cheaper. Like yeah. on Amazon, mm-hmm. you get a dime a dozen, basically feature for feature for, with Apple Pencil USB C, except they're like twenty dollars. Yeah, there's loads of them. And I, I think our family actually had one at one time and they do work. Yeah. They like, you know, the, what Apple calls the super precise, you know, drawing yeah. and whatever mm-hmm. else. To my eye, they work exactly the same. These like random ones that you get on Amazon. So, but if you're a school, you probably can't buy the off-brand stuff from Amazon because it just doesn't work like that. What you buy is you buy, you know, your 1,000 iPads and at the same time, you buy your 1,000 Apple pencils that Apple's going to give you in some big bulk offer which is kind of a big justification for this thing existing at all.
0: Announced on Tuesday, $79, but not available to order until early November. That's what it says. Which is, again, just weird. Why do you pre-announce an Apple Pencil like this via a press release on a random Tuesday three weeks before it's actually going to be available? You have to think that there was something else meant to be announced this week alongside it, because we're expecting M2 update for the iPad Air. Than a spec bump iPad mini. But at this point, it's looking like that's probably not going to happen this year. Maybe more like early 2024.
1: Yeah, I mean, the amount of effort they had to take in the newsroom to painstakingly describe compatibility with each generation of iPad compared to each generation of Apple Pencil. If there are new iPads coming next month, it would have been a lot easier for them not to bother. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they wouldn't have the the press release could have been like half as long. So clearly, I don't think that's happening. And in the original plans, there probably was meant to be an iPad update around this time that they would have paired with a pencil. And there's some people speculating that this Apple Pencil USB C might have been originally sca- penciled in. There you go. That's nice. Oh, of that pun. God. For last year with the iPad 10, because that would have been a better solution yeah. than the apple pencil first generation with a dongle uh but i kind of i kind of find it hard to believe that like it took them a whole year to ship a apple pencil C. Yeah. do you know what i mean like it, it's like if it had happened like a couple of months after you'd be like okay we can see what see what went wrong here but like a whole year later it's like i don't think and i don't know but it doesn't seem like apple pencil USB C was originally destined for 2022 uh to come out with the ipad 10 i think i think they did the thing last year and then it was around then they were like we should probably make a new Apple Pencil that is USB-C. Like, and so then it comes out a year later. Uh, and it probably was, you know, scheduled roughly to align with an iPad update that was originally meant for this fall, but isn't happening. And probably it will now happen in like January, February, March kind of time.
0: So yeah, new Apple Pencil lineup. Three models to choose from. Take your pick. Have fun. And I would love to be an Apple Store employee having to explain the current state of not only the iPad lineup, which has been convoluted for a while now, but also now the Lineup of Apple pencils,
1: iPad accessories. I think is here's my here's my overarching point. Apple charges too much for the half essential iPad accessories, i.e., the keyboard covers and the pencil. Yep, too too expensive. Seven seventy nine dollars is not cheap for a stylus, right? Like it's it's a lot of, it's a lot of money. And the fact that like I don't think it's unreasonable to think that seventy nine dollars should be the iPad the Apple pencil second generation. Like I don't yeah. know, like it's it's. The the one twenty nine price point for that is mental. Like that should be ninety nine. I don't know. It's or even cheaper. Like it's just insane. So and 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 that being that expensive then requires them to make a lower end model. You know, like this is yeah. Mm-hmm. This is all this is all arranging for maximizing profitability rather than making for a streamlined product line, which is
0: sad. And Then on the Magic Keyboard front, you have the original Magic Keyboard that launched in what twenty twenty, and then. You have the Magic Keyboard Folio for the base model. Well, not, not the base model, the The 10th generation iPad. That's better in some ways than the Magic Keyboard because it has that dedicated row of function keys at the top. Then the 10th generation iPad also has things like the landscape camera, like the horizontal orientation. It's just a mess. It's right, a and mess. they still
1: sell like, the smart keyboard folio as well, right? Yes, that's true. So there's like five keyboard options you can choose from. Yeah, I, I've. It's an unfortunate state of affairs that I feel like they they have they've purposely walked themselves into, and they could have avoided if they were just slightly less penny pinching. Happy hour this week is also brought to you by Urban Armor Gear. Nine Five Mac is teaming up with Urban Armor Gear to give away Apple's latest iPhone 15 to one lucky reader. Just hit the link in the show notes to enter. Urban Armour Gear create quality, rugged, protective cases for all of your essential devices, including the new range for the iPhone 15. Urban Armour Gear is the leading designer of rugged, lightweight mobile device cases and accessories. Crafted in Southern California, their products are the result of obsessive dedication to quality and inspired design. Their latest collection for iPhone 15, 15 Plus, 15 Pro, and Pro Max is available right now they raise the bar on urban armor gears legendary standards for rugged phone protection the cases feature a strengthened magnet module making an ultra secure connection with MagSafe accessories and there's a wide range of styles to choose from including the clear plyo case with anti-yellowing properties in fact their entire range has been updated including new clear and graphic versions of their pathfinder case and a totally redesigned essential armor model they offer industry-leading drop protection an ultra light impact frame and so much more so elevate your iPhone 15 protection with Urban Armour Gear. Check them out at urbanarmorgear.com now to discover the perfect case for you. That's urbanarmorgear.com. And don't forget to enter the giveaway to win an iPhone 15. Find the link
0: in the show notes. Thanks again to Urban Armour Gear for sponsoring the show. Mark Gurman at Bloomberg in his Power On newsletter over this weekend had kind of a status update on what to expect from the future, cheaper version of Vision Pro. He says that Apple is aiming for a price point somewhere between $1,500 and $2,500. So cheaper, but still not cheap by any means. And he says that one of the ways Apple is going to save on price is by removing the EyeSight feature, which during the Vision Pro's announcement was kind of like a like a tentpole focus of the product because what it does is use the external OLED display to project like a rendering of the user's facial expression to other people yeah not so a apple's direct camera feed right yeah they
1: regenerate a video a, you know a 3d model of your eyes and
0: eyebrows. apple's focus of, with this was like it doesn't cut you off from the outside world like you can still communicate with other people while you're wearing it but apparently it's not an important enough feature to... Okay, well, let let
1: me just... like Because I think it's important, right? There's some nuance here, right? So so it lets you communicate with other people while you're wearing it. Not entirely, right? Because what actually lets you communicate with other people while you're wearing it is the pass-through video, right? Yes. So Mm -hmm. the pass-through video is a separate feature to the eyesight part. All the eyesight part does is enhance the experience for people that are not you. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Right? So like... And I'm pretty sure I made this point when we did the Vision Pro podcast like three months ago the cost factor if they want to make a cheaper version i say it does seem to be one of the things they could drop because yeah its benefit is not to the person who pays the money to buy it which feels completely out of sync right so like you the the eyesight um display you can't see it when you're wearing the headset right, right yeah it's not there and in fact there were plenty of people who did the vision pro PR demo in June at WWC who didn't realize eyesight wasn't working because they could never see yeah. it. <laughs> so like it's just yep. like a perfect example of it being a bit extraneous and a bit um perhaps over-engineered because what does it do? It shows your eyes to other people in the room. And the way it does it to make it look realistic and hopefully not super creepy is that it looks for the exact perspective at which the other person in the room is looking at you and then renders the video to make it look right to them. Cuz obviously It's a curve, but it is a flat display, right? Like it's not like three-dimensional in terms of bumpiness, right? So what they do is they see that you're 90 degrees over here. So they they render the eyes to be 90 degrees away. So it doesn't just look like a flat painting of your eyes looking forward at an angle. It actually looks like what your eyes would look like to your face if a real person was sitting at a different angle. So to make that happen, they need sensors that are constantly tracking the outside world to see where people are and to see what perspective they're looking at you at. They need the OLED display... To that's lenticular, by the way, like it's not and it's curved, so like it's not just like a flat display; it's all curved, and you know. And then it can project real time video to the person in the other side of the room, which a is expensive, right? Loads of components there. It's also battery intensive. I have to assume, right? Because yeah. it's not free, mm-hmm. yeah. And some of the CPU powers is are being used up doing that. So if they could drop eyesight, they could. Get a better battery life. They can make it cheaper, and they could probably use a weaker chip, right? Or at least part of the contribution to them not having to use an M chip. They could, because one of the things Mark keeps saying is that they will use like an A17 chip or something um, to get its work done. Well, there's one factor to reduce the the workload. Secondly, eyesight in terms of the projecting your eyes isn't enabled all the time anyway, because if you're in an yeah. immersive experience, it doesn't show your eyes. It just shows this cloud of like blue smoke, like what you see on the top <laughs> of a HomePod. Yeah. you know like the home pod like animation that's what it puts on your eyes when you're in a via when you're in an immersive experience it's only when you're doing the pass-through that it shows your eyes to give an indication to the other person that they can see you so like oh, oh and if the person in the room isn't there i.e you're in a room on your own which i think is not an unusually uncommon experience for people that are going to be buying vision pros right because yeah. you're going to use them at home and you're probably going to use them on your own right like I mean, you look at most of Apple's marketing videos, they don't show it to other people in the room that often. I mean, they do, but like, at least... And this is the Apple marketing videos. This isn't the real word use, right? This is the idealized form. You look at the videos, most of the time it's one person in a room on their own. You know, sometimes they have some kids in there, sometimes they have everything in there. But like, when you're watching a movie, right, you're probably going to be watching it on your own. And in those situations, the external display is turned off. Because it's not needed. Yeah. <laughs> so like... and. You know, you're probably saving what? $300 of cost by not including this feature that doesn't actually get used at the time and has no benefit to the person who's buying it. So, like, I feel like it's like a perfect candidate to drop. And. I think Apple can get away with their vision of you know, not disconnecting people by just emphasising the, the pass-through experience and the breakthrough stuff. Because I feel like that's what really makes the experience work, is the idea that you're in an immersive experience, but yeah. if someone comes in the room and starts directly talking to you, it will then like fade away the background to show them. That's a feature, right? It doesn't need an external display rending your eyes to do it.
0: And if Apple does want to give people in the room context about what the person wearing Vision Pro is doing, there's cheaper ways right? Yeah, an LED a much lights, small, right. Yeah, exactly. Or even a display that's similar to what we already have on top of the HomePod, like you said, that just kind of shows a very small floating cloud or whatever.
1: I think they could do a cheaper vision, right, it wouldn't be called Vision Pro, obviously. Yeah. They could um, do a cheaper yeah. vision something that is predominantly directed at virtual reality. I know they love, yeah. uh, the Vision Pro was obviously ingested and thought up as an augmented reality device. But, you've got to be practical. Most of the time, people will use it in VR or or a VR experience that just so happens to have the background of the, of the desk in front of you. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's going to be mm-hmm. used for virtual reality experiences a lot of the time. And so why don't you make a cheaper vision headset that is, they can call it Apple Vision VR, they can call it, you know, whatever they want. But it's just meant for those use cases. You can have your trophy, idealized, perfect form. You know, this thing costs three and a half grand. and This is exactly what we want to build, except it's not because what they really want to build is lightweight glasses, but they can't do that at all. So this is what we have. Uh, But then in terms of actually getting an ecosystem of a platform building so that developers have a reason to make apps for this thing, you want to get a cheaper one. I feel like emphasizing the VR elements of it is not a terrible way to go. And you can. What's the best way to indicate this, this? This is the VR one, and this is the AR one. The VR one doesn't have the v- picture of your eyes on the outside, like so. Yeah. As well as just as the you know the cost and the performance and the battery life, I feel like it also helps with the marketing. It's like you can see this one does that, and this one doesn't do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I feel like it's almost like a perfect solution to the situation. <laughs> so if you could sell a cheaper headset, they're like, okay, well if you want to be just doing playing games or you know watching films on the plane, you buy this one that's only. Only $1,500. <laughs> but if you want all the fancy Danky one, then it's got, oh, look, it's got this external display on the outside. And okay, that one's 3000 So, like, I think it makes a lot of sense. It doesn't perfectly fit with what Apple presented in June, but I think what Apple presented in June is going to have to come crashing down to a smattering of reality. In the same way that Apple's perfectly happy making three models of Apple Pencil. I feel like yeah. somewhere <laughs> inside the company, they can, you know let go of some of their idealized form of the vision pro and come with a cheaper apple vision headset that doesn't have eyesight as less cameras and runs on a slower chip
0: and bloomberg says that apple is prioritizing development of the cheaper vision headset at the expense of its other initiatives like those ar glasses that you said
1: yeah because if i'm an app developer i'm not going to sustain a business on vision pro customers yeah, you need mm-hmm. less and, and what we're talking about here for this model is not even like competitively cheaper it's just cheaper yeah. like <laughs> it's like instead of being three and a half it's one thousand five hundred two and a half thousand the meta quest products right five hundred right and they don't sell in that bigger quantity either like I feel like people have to get a, a reality check here you know ha of reality uh, haha <laughs> like you, they have to get a reality check here The vision ecosystem, as it stands today, cannot survive long term if all they have is stuff that's vision pro tier. It just can't. It just can't. It's like if the entire, it's like if they, the Mac would not survive if all they made was the Mac Pro. There's a reason the MacBook Airs exist because they're very popular and most people are okay with just that. Yeah. You know. Oh, Apple's perfect vision of a laptop has a 120 hertz display that's mini LED and has all this color depth and is all great and fancy. It's like, yeah, I love it. But most people are perfectly happy with a MacBook Air. And we would recommend people buy a MacBook Air. So I feel like there's no difference in the in the vision marketplace. You can wait for the Vision Pro to get cheaper in terms of just the, how much it costs to build the components. Or you can make a slightly less good vision that can probably be significantly cheaper. And the big one, I think, that's way more insignificant than Eyesight is the internal displays, right? Because that's, I think, really where most of the cost is coming from on the apple vision pro and -hmm. it's the big differentiator between the vision pro and like a meta quest pro anything else and the reason why it's more expensive also the reason why it's better is the 4k oled displays micro oled displays per eye those are where a lot of the cost is coming from and then driving the 8k pixels is obviously an associated cost with the m2 chip so if they're going to plod along here with an a17 chip for instance i think there's also a chance they might ship worse quality displays in them too I hope they don't because I think that's really yeah. what would be the selling point of the product is making it look really, really good when you look through them. Uh, but if I was thinking about this lineup, you know, I really think there's a lot of value in getting a 9.99 Vision Pro headset, even if it has to sacrifice a lot of the qualities
0: that define the Vision Pro as unique. We're probably a long ways away from 9.99 too. I feel like if, if yeah, this it exactly. says so like 1500, just, you know, to- you know.
1: If 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 they're like I I but I, what I'm getting at is like if if the 1500 let's take the 1500 of the price the the cheapest one that German proposes yeah. right? let's say that is the one that is retaining the OLED displays inside I feel like there's a real real big motivation for Apple to make who knows another model right that's even cheaper yeah. that also has lower quality displays like I feel like the price is such a factor of of significance it it's just you know, you're in the tech community, you go, ha, 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 three and a half grand, like, you can laugh it off, but, like, the reality of the world, people are not going to buy it. The, like, it's just not going to happen. Oh, a two and a half grand, most people are still going to buy it. One and a half grand, uh, maybe you get some people, but I still don't think you're getting into, like, the tens of millions that you really want to get to. So, they're going to struggle. Or, like, if the Vision Pro was a standalone company, it would fail, Right? They're in part of the Apple bubble so they can keep it bobbling along, right? But if Apple wants to make it like, you know, there's some some talk that like eventually Apple wants to replace the iPhone with vision products. Probably the glasses, right? But, you know, until we get to that point, we've got the headset. There's no way they're replacing the iPhone with vision stuff Unless it gets way, 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 way cheaper. Even the most expensive iPhone, which you can get on a contract through a carrier, is what fourteen hundred dollars, and that's the spec'd out version with everything bells and whistles. You know, all guns blazing. It can literally do everything that you do in your entire daily life. It's an essential product for every human on the earth that can buy one. Vision <laughs> is nowhere close to that. It's just nowhere yeah. close.
0: Do you think eyesight is something that we could even see removed from the top end Vision Pro model at some point? Mm. would Apple rather spend that money on something else even I, higher resolution I, displays? I don't know so.
1: but I think they like the I, I think it's fine to have a trophy product right that is like the yeah. all, bell, all bells and whistles this one's super expensive but it also is the perfect representation of what we want the product to be and then you make the compromises with the lower end models so I don't think and they're obviously shipping this three and a half grand one with it so yeah. I don't think there's much need to drop it Because over time, stuff gets cheaper, right? Um, So over time, it becomes less of a factor. But right now, it's a factor. Um, so, But yeah, I don't think right now there's a motivation to get rid of it, to replace it with something else. Like, you know, I guess they could make a $3,300 Vision Pro that didn't have the outside display. But is that really going to move the needle too much? You you really need to be like $1,000 cheaper to really start having an impact, right? In terms of millions of units sold
0: and the context is that the what the shipment estimates for the first Vision Pro are like four hundred, five hundred thousand 500,000
1: units yeah 400,000-ish and it a keeps whole year. getting lower yeah. it keeps getting lower with
0: every update supposedly
1: so. originally they wanted to do a million now they can only do 400,000 and we don't even think Vision Pro 2 will be available in 2026 or 20, sorry 2025 It'll yeah. be wait, we'll be waiting at least until 2026 to get another one so like you know yeah at best, at best, at best, you're probably going to sell another four hundred thousand in year two, right? Like yeah. less than a million mm-hmm. units total over two years. Like what? Hardware, what Apple hardware product doesn't meet that bar? Very, very, almost none of them. Maybe the Mac Pro, but I even think the Mac Pro yeah. product sells it.
0: Yeah. And last this week, we have a few Apple TV Plus stories to talk about. So the first one happened yesterday, and Apple has ended its partnership with Skydance Animation. So Skydance Animation is the company that was headed by the former Pixar chief, John Lasseter. John Lasseter was ousted from Pixar over a whole bunch of different sexual harassment claims and started Skydance Animation and teamed up with Apple for actually now just one film call one animated well, to, movie to, to be
1: perfectly he didn't start skydance animation it existed it, he kind of took yeah. over the unit yeah yeah because skydance is a huge company that had you know huge production company skydance animation existed luck which is the film that did premiere on apple tv yes. Glass, under this deal was mostly done by the time john lasser Before. even joined the company yeah so like it doesn't really reflect like the thing is apple made this deal with skydance animation with john lasser as the lead right because he's the guy heading it up And they took so much flack and so much negative PR for the association with John Lasseter. You know, whatever you think about it, like he had sexual assault claims against him, and Apple still made a deal with him. So, like, you know, it doesn't come across too well. And yet the deal hasn't even lasted long enough for them to even reap a possible benefit out of it, i.e., the magical, good John John Lasseter film luck he came into about 70% of the way through, did some reshoots and, you know, reshoots in animation terms, you know, like chopped and changed the script around and tried to make the best of a bad thing. But really, the first film from John Lasseter's Skydance animation is the next one, which is Spellbound, which in, which now will no longer be on Apple T Plus at all. So Apple really took a bad deal there in the sense that yeah. they took a load of negative PR uh, and they're, no, they're not really capitalising on it at all. So I... And, and and spellbound is meant to come out like early next year, like it's not that far away, right? So like yeah, mid you yeah. Know, first few months of 2024, and it's going to Netflix now. Now it's going to Netflix because basically Apple and Skydance ended the deal; they've gone and partnered up with Netflix instead. So the future films that were going to be Apple animation films now going to be Netflix animation films. From Apple's standpoint, I think partly it is the general contraction in streaming, right? Like everyone's just raining spending a bit. And that probably expands to Apple as well, right? Like you know, they're spending a lot. Don't get me wrong; they're spending four billion a year. But you know, the the Skydance deal was like two hundred and fifty million a year around that around that range. Yeah. So you know, if you can chop that off, you can trim your you can trim your budget. Luck wasn't very good. Maybe Apple's seen previews of Spellbound and they're not particularly impressed with it either. Uh, so they're like, okay, well, we might as well cut our losses here. Um, I think their film division is now focusing mostly on projects that are going to head to theatrical first not exclusively i think um and i don't know the details right but i think the the lower budget apple films are going to go straight to streaming i you know the 10 Mm -hmm. 20 30 million dollar films but the ones that are over 100 i think they're trying to basically just do a slate now where all of those go to theatrical first um and the skydance films were definitely over 100 million so they don't really make the they don't really make the bar there um i think the era of 100 million dollar films that go to streaming only is ending and this is part of that netflix is an, is an is an outlier there but they're a different business they're really successful they're super profitable they have 250 million subscribers so they can kind of get away with putting films directly on streaming other companies are not going to see the returns on the investment by doing that um and that includes apple itself so that's part of it i think part of it slightly is that they were just in the in the rat race of Content wars of like, we're just going to make deals with everybody we can, right? And mm-hmm. then maybe even Apple overspent in some places when they probably didn't make strategic sense. Uh, and I think they just thought the content wasn't very good, probably. Because if Spell, mm-hmm. if let, let's say Spellbound was a good film, they would just end the deal next year after that one came out. Do you right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. so like, I feel like, at least in Apple's perspective, they don't really think the film's going to do very well. So it'd be interesting when it does premiere on Netflix, whether it gets good reviews or not. Uh, the one thing that is staying around from the Skynet's animation deal. Is Wandler, which is a TV series, so
0: that will come out on Apple still. Uh, but otherwise, the deal is over. For some reason, I was under the assumption that Luck was really well received, but I guess not. No, it, I'm looking it, on like Rotten Tomatoes. It has a forty eight percent, and the quote is, "Luck is inoffensive enough to act as an animated babysitter, but there are far more original and enter- entertaining options for target for its target audience."
1: Yeah. It's not a Pixar quality film. No. It's a it's a film you can watch and kids will happily watch it, right? And they'll like like the pretty dragon. But it's not a
0: (laughs) Pixar quality film. Speaking of Apple T V Plus big budget movies coming to theaters is Killers of the Flower Moon. So this Martin Scorsese film premieres on Friday. Is that right, Mayo? Yep. Friday in because
1: up to now, Apple films have been in very, very limited release in theatres to get awards eligibility right? Mm-hmm. So they might run for like a week or two in the US and very, very few number of screens. The Killers of the Foul Moon is the first Apple film to get wide worldwide release. So it's they're going well beyond their minimums for, you know, Oscars legibility. Thousands of screens, a long theatrical run. They haven't interestingly announced when the streaming date will be but at minimum, it's going to be like two months away, right? Like a month and a half, that kind of that kind of range. Everything else they've done up to now has basically been in theatres in limited screenings for like a week just so they can get the Oscar legibility and then they put it on streaming. This is the start of the new strategy where Apple spends a lot of money in these films, but they're first going to take them to theatrical where they can build up marketing, build up buzz, and reclaim some of the production cost, right? Like, because, you know, you put them in cinemas, Apple's going to get a cut of the box office sales. a Curse of the Flower Moon cost about $250 million. It probably would have been close to $200, but COVID delays and stuff made it that the production cost spiraled a bit. So it's $250 million, right? A normal studio would not be able to afford that kind of film at $250 million because they would never make their money back on it the chance of, re- of return is so, so low. Even Oppenheimer, right? Which is, you know, exploded and has done almost a billion. It's um, Christopher Nolan. It's a similar three-hour epic, you know, talky-talky kind of film. And that cost $100 million, right? So like $250 million film is so expensive. No sh- other normal studio these days would really fund it. Um, and in fact, it was originally at Paramount and the cost got too high that they sold it off to Apple, right? So like, mm-hmm. that's, that's how it goes. Apple obviously can foot the bill. Because they're Apple. But yeah. they obviously want to make some money on it if they can. Uh, I think theatrical distribution is number one, marketing, and number two, getting back some of the cost. When it hits theatrical, obviously then you get box office numbers. The estimates of the box office are quite low. Uh, you know, $20, 30000000 million opening. Not terrible, but certainly not projected to make back the amount that it cost. Because to make money in theatrical, you basically have to get double what you paid for the film. At least to break even, and then any more if you've right. spent marketing or whatever else. So, Apple spent 250 million to really, to, if they wanted to like make all their money back on the film, Killers of Flower Moon has got to cross like 600 million because half of it goes to the cinemas, you know, and then they have cuts for all the producers and left, right, and center. Right. And um, there's no way that Killers of, I mean, it's very, very long shot that Killers of Flower Moon crosses 600 million. You know, Oppenheimer getting to a billion or close enough is like quite rare. Um, most you know most general films these days do not get to 600 million. They're like the outliers, right? And Killers of Flower Moon is a three and a half hour film so it reduced the amount of showings theatres can even do because the film's so long about adult subject matter, blah, 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 blah. So it's not marketable as like a family affair or everything else, right? Like it's niche. And so inevitably come Monday there is going to be headlines where it's like, you know, Killers of Flower Moon's flops or whatever, you know, and it's like <laughs> blah, 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 blah. I don't think Apple's expecting it to get to 600 million, right? I think if they... And, and I don't know what their internal projections are and there hasn't really been any reporting on what Apple expects it to do. I think they'd be happy if it gets to like 200 million-ish, right? They end up taking home 100 million. Yeah. The cost of their production went down a bit. So the overall film is cheaper for them on their balance sheet. And then it's got hopefully good reviews and a lot of buzz so that when it does arrive on TV+, Plus, it has a big splash there. Because I think all their previous films went to TV+, and they didn't have a big impact really right uh i think this is a chance that if you can get the theatrical run you're doing you're paying for some advertising that goes on tv for kids of our moon in theaters but blah, blah, blah. even if people don't see it in theaters at least there's awareness of it and the people that do go and sit in theaters will talk to their friends about etc etc cetera, et cetera. so when it ends up on tv plus in two months time if this strategy works it will be a big hit and then they'll be happy and just because it doesn't get back all their
0: production costs in box office they don't really care so, do you think it's a prestige thing more than anything? Because we just talked about how Apple could be raining in spending, like by canning <sighs> the Skydance animation deal, but spending two hundred fifty million dollars on a movie that's very well might not make back much, or might not make back all of its budget through box office, and how many people will sign up for TV Plus just to watch the just to watch Killers of the Flower Moon. I mean, prestige That's, a part
1: of it. This is a clear Oscar contender, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're Apple, you spend two hundred fifty dollars to two hundred fifty million to make it. You maybe claw back a hundred, hundred fifty million, luck if you're lucky in box office. So then you spent under a hundred million, you know, net on putting the film on TV Plus, and you've got worldwide rights to it. There, I think it makes it more palatable. I don't yeah. think Apple like raising spending does not mean that. You're not going to spend a lot of money on individual titles i think right. it just means you yeah. just do less titles overall and apple's in a position where they're already doing less titles overall right so i think overall apple's spending is probably going to stay about constant you know they, they're they reigning in skydance but that they're probably just going to substitute it for a different film if you see what i mean like so mm-hmm. oh, roughly i think their spend will stay about the same um they need to drill up to, to justify the spend over a long period of time obviously they need more subscribers and one way to get more subscribers, I think, is to put these films in theatres so that more people know about them so that when they do hit streaming, people want to get the service. So I think it's a decent attempt. And I I don't know if you'd heard about this film much in the run-up to its theatrical release, but I feel like I've seen more advertising for this than any other oh, yeah. previous Apple film, so in some ways it is working.
0: I have seen more ads on TikTok for Killers of the Flower Moon than just about anything over the past couple weeks. Oh, there you go. And the ad... it. Since TikTok is like portrait video, obviously, the ad starts by saying, please rotate your phone to landscape (laughs) for the best experience. That's quite funny. It's clever. It's engaging. You're like, oh, what is this? Yeah. So yeah, I guess what I'd conclude is like, you
1: know, next week there'll be box office analysis that will probably say it's a massive failure. I still think the number one thing Apple cares about is the streaming service. So the real success of the project will be how well it does in two months time or whatever when it's on streaming if I had to guess they're probably going to have it on streaming time for Christmas I feel like that's probably what they're going for so like you know mid to late December they'll be like this is our Christmas movie but they don't yeah. want to announce the, the-, the-, the streaming date because to- otherwise that would undermine the theatrical run I- that's my guess anyway and yeah so this month they have Clears of the Flower Moon and then November in theaters they have Napoleon so that's another 200 million dollar film by the way
0: so are you going to go to a theater to see Killers of the Flower Moon uh, are you hold I don't down. I know.
1: I don't go to theaters for most films just because Apple makes yeah. it doesn't change that. I'll watch it on streaming, 100%. Uh, but
0: The idea of going to a theater for a three-and-a-half-hour movie makes me... does not make me... does not sound enticing to me. It's the exact opposite. Yeah, and Napoleon,
1: um, which is the Ridley Scott, you know, Jacqueline Phoenix um, yeah. epic, mm-hmm. that, that I think is two-and-a-half-hours theatrical. Um, so, you know... It, Less than three and a half hours, but still a long film. And then he's also making a four hour cut, which is going to go straight Uh. to Apple as well. So, (laughs) I mean, go for it, I guess. But um, yeah, this is at least an attempt to make a more sustainable model for big budget films. Yeah. Right? If you can get some clawback in theatrical and then some value on streaming.
0: Did you know that Barbie did $1.44 billion at Mm -hmm. the box office? Yep. That's the biggest thing in the
1: year. Crazy.
0: Have you seen it? I have not seen it actually. I don't know. Is it I think is it out on streaming or anywhere? Maybe just watch? yeah. Yeah. Because
1: it did so well, they delayed the like VOD or uh, whatever.
0: Yeah. But yeah. I'll
1: watch it. I like it. I think I just won't love it, you know. It's just a yeah. run in the mill. Oppenheimer isn't out until next month, I think, on um video On demand. And Apple was in the running, by the way, to get that. Like they were close to securing that deal, uh, but they balked reportedly at the length that Chris Nolan wanted for theatrical exclusivity. So, because um, the, you know, Apple can afford hundred million for a Chris Nolan. They were right up there um, and they were definitely like chatting the chat and they were happy to give theatrical window, blah, 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 blah. But they didn't want to give, I think Chris Nolan wanted a hundred, like three, four months um, exclusive in theaters and Apple didn't want to give that long. Um, so that's why they didn't end up getting it but I'm sure someone inside Apple like damn I wish we'd gone for it <laughs> <laughs> that could have funded you know three of their films yeah. right that, that's the thing with this box of his strategy is like yeah you're going to lose money most of the time but if you get a big hit you can fund like five films in a row and if you, the, at the end of the day if you overall break even that's great. Like, if you know, yeah. if you're if you're a movie studio, that's terrible because you want to make money. But if you're Apple, if you can just break even on it, then it's a great, great business. You know, you're making money on streaming, and you've made all your money back on the actual production. Then before you even get to streaming.
0: Are there any new TV shows coming to Apple TV Plus? I feel like there's been a slowdown.
1: Yeah, I think there's been a bit of a slowdown. They've got stuff coming out every month, though.
0: You know. Um, what's coming up soon? You've got. Yes, you have. Lessons in Chemistry, I think yeah, I that's out that, at Premier. the moment.
1: Yep, so that's going out weekly. Uh, they got Four Mankind season four. Oh, yeah, b- about a week's time, and then a week after that, they've got the Godzilla series, Monarch Legacy of Monsters, which looks pretty good. And it's funny how you bulked at 250 million dollars because, like, most of these productions that are big names are like in that range, they're just TV shows yeah. rather than films, right? Monarch was easily 150 million dollars, probably slightly higher. Um, and then the big the big TV show bet, and this is like the kind of thing you probably won't see anybody do anymore, is Masters of the Air, which comes out in January. That cost them so much money. Like that is the ultimate in the streaming bubble, right? Because it was like ordered in like 2019. That cost, them, that cost them easily 300 million, if not more. And it's nine episodes. Um, and I don't think you'll see even Apple do $300 million series anymore like even the um um what was the the lord of the rings one that that is on amazon at the moment right that that first season is reported to be 500 million but half of that is just right to lord of the rings so like the actual production is 250 doing 300 million uh for a series that's nine episodes is a is a big ask um but that's a prestige play 100 and hopefully it'll be good because it's the continuation of Banner brothers and the pacific uh mm-hmm. but yeah like the cgi to do air air warfare is not cheap
0: all right i think that does it for this week you can send us feedback happy hour at nine to five mac.com send me all of your feedback about the carplay bug so i have more ammo to use whenever <laughs> apple denies it's a problem You can find us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review, and find an ad-free version of the show for $5 a month or $50 a year. I'm on Twitter, Mastodon, and Threads at Chance H. Miller. And Mayo, where are you? B-Z-A, Mayo. All right. Thanks, Mayo. Bye-bye.